0: 2 Corinthians, chapter number 10. It's good to be in God's house here today. Trust that God has already spoke to your heart and ministered to your needs. Appreciate the good singing, good special music, appreciate the choir, and appreciate what all of our teachers and workers are doing here at Temple Baptist Church. One verse, 2 Corinthians, chapter 10. And actually, we're going to read a couple verses here. Let's back up to verse number 3, where Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. What Paul's telling us is that there's an invisible realm around us in which a battle is taking place. We have an invisible enemy. He is real. He is powerful. He's just invisible. And in verse number four, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal meaning we cannot use an M16, we cannot use a nuclear bomb, we cannot use some kind of laser-guided Star Wars phaser. doesn't matter what technology that we have, they're useless in this spiritual warfare that we are in each and every day of our life because the only weapons in spiritual warfare are spiritual weapons. And he says here in verse number five, casting down imaginations. That's a very important phrase, especially this time of year, because many are either graduating from high school or college. Many of you as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, friends, you're attending graduations. There are a lot of young people that are faced with some major decisions in their life because they have finished something that has been kind of consuming them, and a, a pathway, if you will, has been dictating what they do for the last 12 years, the last four years, whatever the case may be. And so now they're faced with a decision. At every one of those graduations, I hear a theme that's just continually repeated. Follow your dreams follow your dreams, in which case the Scripture never says that we should follow our dreams, but rather the Scripture says we need to make sure that we discern and understand what those dreams, what those imaginations are. God never, never has much good to say about the imaginations of the human heart. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter number 6 that the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart was only evil continually. And so I would say to you here this morning, before we get on with the message, don't just simply follow your dreams, but rather make sure that your dreams, imaginations, and ambitions are in accordance with the Word of God. I've heard some really crazy things that people have said about following their God-given passion, and that passion be something that's carnal or worldly. Folks, that is never a God... Just because you have a talent or a desire or ability, that doesn't mean that God wants you to use that just any old way that you'd like to use it. So the Bible says here, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and watch this, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God doesn't promote free thinking. God promotes that our thinking and our imaginations need to be put into captivity, into captivity, and the jailer should be the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of prisoners of war. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you've been here with us this morning. I pray that that same Holy Spirit would guide and direct our thoughts, would speak to our hearts and our minds. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us and strengthen us where we need encouragement and strength. Lord, we're in a war an invisible one. There is no hiding from this war. Wherever we go, we take that war with us. Now pray, Father, that you would help me to say some things here today that would be a help to this congregation. For all of those that are perhaps listening through CDs or through the internet on our website, those that are listening live stream, we ask a special blessing upon them that the message today would be a help and an encouragement. If anyone listening is not saved, I pray that they would realize their need and they would trust Christ as their personal Savior before it's eternally too late. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. We all, we all have an issue of surrender and trust. Surrender and trust is a very difficult thing that goes contrary to our human nature. I think about the children of Israel and what a great example of the need to surrender and to trust God. The children of Israel were physical captives in Egypt. Physical captives. And yet we read their history and we find that they were spiritual captives in the wilderness. Even though they were freed from the bondage of Pharaoh, we find that the things that happened to them in the wilderness, you could say many of which were way worse than what happened in Egypt. Why is that? Because God wasn't good to them? Absolutely not. The problem was is that they were still in spiritual bondage even though physically they'd been set free. In Exodus 32 and verse number 9, the scripture says that the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. This isn't a chiropractic verse here, folks. This is talking about their nature, their stubbornness, their unwillingness to trust and surrender to their Maker, a holy God. This same group of people had experienced, I mean, they had experienced deliverance in a wonderful, miraculous way. Their needs had been supplied. Their, uh, they apparently had no gratitude or loyalty to either God or to his servant Moses. And yet all of these things God had done for them, and still they found it difficult to trust and to surrender their stubborn wills to a gracious and a kind God. No one can make any claim that God didn't do his very best to take care of them in ways that he has never taken care of anyone since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And yet, in spite of that, the gratitude factor was at an all-time low. I think about how that God has blessed this great nation. What a joy and what a privilege it is to live here in the United States of America. And it breaks my heart as I think about all of the blessings and the comfort and the provision that we have, and yet... The more that God has done and the more prosperity that we have here in our nation, the more and more that people's hearts become hardened and stiff-necked and stubborn, thinking that we did this all on our own. I got news for you. All that we would have, the demise of America would require nothing more than for God to just withdraw His hand of blessings and leave us to ourselves. And yet we think that we're living the American dream and that we've done this all on our own. We need to think again. We need to realize that God is a great and a gracious God. I want to take a few minutes here and talk about the subject of POWs. The sufferings of prisoners during wars such as the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I and World War II, The Korean War, the Vietnam War, are practically indescribable. I mean, not to mention what has happened to prisoners in more recent times under the Islamic... uh, You know, I hesitate to use the word extremist because they're not all extremists. They're just people who believe their own book. Who have tortured... Christians and Americans in ways that we couldn't even talk about. Atrocities of the human heart. Human beings have suffered these hardships, including starvation, torture, both physical and mental, disease, brainwashing, and I mean forms of abuse by wicked men that would make us shudder, almost be unbelievable that a human being could even survive some of the atrocities in which wicked men have put them through. In the Revolutionary War from 1776 to 1783, over 10,000 continental soldiers and sailors died from intentional neglect while being held prisoner on the damaged hull of the HMS Jersey, just right out in the harbor. Corpses were tossed overboard to wash up on shore where graciously women would take and remove their bodies and compassionately have them buried. In the Civil War, over 45,000 prisoners entered the gates of Andersonville Prison in southwest Georgia. Nearly 13,000 of these never came out. Military historian William Brewer describes the conditions at Camp O'Donnell where the Japanese kept the survivors of the famous Bataan Death March one of the survivors was quoted as saying this death soon became the norm most uh, POWs were skin and bone with pipe stem legs and arms he went on to say that their lungs would uh, loaded with tissue fluid fell easy prey to pneumonia Hearts weakened by prolonged starvation, suddenly dilated and stopped beating. And the list and the description of the gruesome uh, treatment of POWs could go on and on and on. Which brings me to the next point in talking about the spiritual war in which we are all fighting. Life is a spiritual war. And I'd like to, with all soberness and seriousness, remind each and every one of us that this war that we are in, there are real casualties, and there are real prisoners of war in the spiritual warfare that we are in. In Second Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 25, Paul tells Timothy of the kind of ministry that is effective. He said that the minister shouldn't strive in verse 24, but he goes on to say that, He should, in meekness, instruct those that oppose themselves. God, Paul talked about them opposing themselves. We, sometimes we look at wicked men and we think that they're the enemy. But listen, we are all descendants of Adam. We are all sinners by nature. And some have found themselves, as he says here, lest, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, which are taken captive by him at his will. The enemy that we fight has a commander-in-chief by the name of Satan, and he is very good at tactical spiritual warfare. He is very good and learned at the destruction of the human race why does he hate us so i believe he hates us because god created us in his own image and when he sees us he's reminded of the same god who cast him out of heaven there in isaiah 7:14 when he said i will ascend i will be like the most high god that Satanic mentality is at the root of every single one of our rebellions and unwillingness to surrender and trust God. When we won't surrender and trust God, we may not have a Ouija board, we may not be practicing the occult, but I got news for you, it is Satanic when we refuse in our stubbornness to surrender to God. The children of Israel in the wilderness were being influenced by Satan. Their behavior made that crystal clear. On October 29, 1963, Army Sergeant and Green Beret Dan Pitzer was captured after he and two fellow Green Beret fought off over 1,000 Vietnamese for nearly three hours. He was taken to a remote prison camp deep within the men Forest. Consequently, he was afflicted with starvation, torture, dysentery, malaria, all of which was followed by depression. The worst part, he said, was the propaganda, the brainwashing, the attempt to break the prisoner's spirit of resistance through deceit, repeated indoctrination, The good guy, bad guy routine, lies about the American concerns, lies about the progress of the war. That propaganda continually would beat upon those POWs on their mind and on their heart and their resolve. It would get down to their spirit until they would be willing to confess to something that they had no idea what they were confessing to. The devil is the sworn enemy of every human especially the born-again Christian. He has faithful allies such as the world and the flesh, not to mention legions of fellow devils. This isn't a POW story, but as I was thinking about these prisoners of war, as I was thinking about the devil as a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour, it made my mind think about a video clip that I saw years ago. In fact, i probably been 10, 11 years ago that I showed this clip to the congregation. Somebody posted this. There were some tourists in Africa. And across this river there on, on the, the, the plains of Africa, you could see a herd of water buffalo walking downstream. As the cameraman would would kind of move the camera to out ahead where the herd of water buffalo were walking, you could see a pride of lions that were all getting in strategic location and crouching and waiting for the ambush. At just the right time, there was a young calf water buffalo that passed by that pride of lion and they instinctively and almost as if it was coordinated, they all attacked from a different direction And I mean, they had that calf water buffalo in no time. They had it down and they're trying to devour and to kill that water buffalo. That water buffalo continues to try to thrash and free himself from those sharp teeth of those lions. He struggles and he fights. And the next thing you know, he rolls down the bank into the river and took one of the lions with him. Well, the lion gives up and starts to swim back to the shore. While this water buffalo is trying to get out of the water, one lion has it by the front, and lo and behold, the cameraman shows that at the back of this water buffalo is a huge crocodile that's got him by the rear legs. You're just thinking, wow, this, this water buffalo has no chance whatsoever. He's got a whole pride of lions on one side. He's got a big crocodile on the other side. And it's a tug-of-war. Who's going to get the stake? And then the camera switches back upriver and you see this the rest of the herd of this water buffalo just kind of walking up and watching and seeing what's going to happen. Seeing what's going to happen. And pretty soon... One of those water buffalo got up enough nerve and lowered its horns. It was probably mama. Lowered her horns and went after that pride of lions. They weren't expecting it. They didn't know what to do. And they scattered and they turned loose of that water buffalo. That calf kicked and got free from that crocodile. And that calf climbed up the bank. And the next thing you know, that whole herd followed mama and they're all standing there looking at that pride of lion like saying, just try it. And those lions finally, they gave up and they just walked off. I watched that and I, you know, I'm just going, yeah, I'm cheering for that little calf water buffalo. You know why that is? Because I'm a pastor. Because I see that going on with young calves today, with young people, with families, with with God's people, God's sheep, if you will. I see the lion and all of his, his emissaries just ganging up on God's people. Thank God at that battle, God's people stuck together and they resisted the lion and the lion fled from them. Brothers and sisters, we're in a battle, and it's a real battle, and there are real casualties, and there are real prisoners of war. We need to take this warfare seriously, and we need to do everything we can to rescue those that are taken captive by the devil at his will, and we need to make sure that we are preaching that men need to repent and men need to start putting their faith and trust back in God and back in his son the Lord Jesus Christ. The next thing I want to say is that there is a safe haven. Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter number 4 verse number 1 Paul makes a statement that he says on numerous occasions in the New Testament he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Paul wrote this epistle from prison in Rome, but Paul never referred to himself as being a prisoner of Caesar or of a prisoner of Rome or of a prisoner of the Jews. Paul always, regardless of his circumstances, referred to himself as a prisoner of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to God's people, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. I believe that Paul is trying to get us to recognize the fact that he's a prisoner of Christ. We need to be prisoners of Christ as well. You ever seen the divers? going down and filming the behavior of sharks, going down into those shark-infested waters. What do they normally go down in? They go down in a cage, don't they? That cage isn't there for bondage. That cage is there for protection. I think about the way that we live our lives nowadays. We think, oh, I don't want to submit or surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to stick me in some kind of cage and take away my freedom to do whatever I want. Oh, on the contrary. Being a prisoner of Jesus Christ means you're going to be well taken care of. You get out of that cage and you're going to find out that the devil out there, he is a roaring lion. We need to understand. We need to understand that there is a safe haven, and that safe haven is being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. The issue is not a prisoner. A POW isn't just a prisoner of war, but we would ask the question, a prisoner of who? In conclusion this morning, I'd like to tell you about Marine Platoon Sergeant Tom Kotick. He was with Foxtrot Company, 2nd Battalion, 24th Regiment. He fought in World War II. This man received a purple heart and three silver stars for valor. He fought in Kwajalein, Saipan, Tinian, and as many of us are familiar with, the island of Iwo Jima. He fought in all of those battles. He saw a lot of things. He saw a lot of dying He saw a lot of killing. He saw a lot of soldiers who had suffered. He saw a lot of fear. He saw a lot of blood. What he would remember the most, what would sear his nightmares for the rest of his life, was not the loss of 80% of the Marines who landed with him at Kwajalein, not the stench of death, sulfur, and burning flesh of Iwo Jima, But rather, he would remember the marine loudspeakers pleading with survivors at Saipan as they rushed to the top of cliffs. The loudspeakers would be yelling out as loud as they could in the Japanese language, saying, please, surrender, you will not be harmed. We are taking prisoners." Over those loudspeakers, the sound of the loudspeakers, you would hear screams of hundreds of Japanese soldiers as well as civilians, mothers and children as they threw themselves off of cliffs only to be smashed on the rocks below. The Japanese Bushido Code was a system of ethics that had indoctrinated them, had affected their mind with the mentality that the idea that the most dishonorable thing a person could do is surrender. They would rather throw themselves off the cliff with their children rather than to surrender to the enemy. Now, we know that the way that the majority of our soldiers treated their POWs and captives they treated them in many cases better than what their lifestyle was to begin with I'm telling you what our country is a mock today but you won't find any you won't find any country that is better to their enemies than this nation has been over history you won't find anyone that has been more benevolent toward those that they have triumphed over in battle than this nation but because of that mentality that they've been indoctrinated with. Once again, this warfare that we're in, it's a spiritual warfare, and it starts with the imaginations, the thought processes. Listen, why is the devil working so powerfully in our culture today? Because he has captured the minds of people. You you talk to young people today and you try to give them what the Bible says, and the average young people just looks at you like, what are you, crazy? I mean, since when does Bible-believing Christianity... You know what the average person, even professing Christian today, thinks of true Bible-believing Christianity? They make statements like, well, at least I haven't drunk the Kool-Aid. Don't you find that just Disheartening and preposterous that somebody who's just simply believing and obeying the Bible all of a sudden is connected or compared to a cult leader that just tried to murder his followers. That's, that's scary, is it not? It shows that the devil is little by little winning the hearts and minds even of God's people. These imaginations need to be cast down. These imaginations and thoughts need to be put under the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The deception that we are indoctrinated with today is that death is better than surrender. Control, me being in control, is better than captivity. Do you realize what the suicide rate is today? Regardless of young people, middle-aged people, I mean, it is a, it is a curse today. People who are ending their lives because they just don't want to live. They don't seem to like the idea that, hey, maybe my life can be better if I'll just surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and they would rather take their own life and have that control than to surrender. In Paradise Lost, a poem in 1667 by John Milton, there's a statement that is spoken by Lucifer himself, and he said this, Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Now to the Bible-believing Christian who knows the Lord and has found the Lord benevolent and trustworthy and good and kind, that statement seems preposterous. But this is the imagination and the thought process of so many people all around us today. I'd rather reign in hell than to serve in heaven. I got news for you. Satan, who is the father of lies, he had that mentality and he wants you to be just like him. And I remind you that his ultimate destiny is going to be the lake of fire and he ain't going to be reigning. Everyone who goes to hell, there's not going to be any leadership. There's not going to be any authority. There's just going to be suffering where the smoke of their torment ascendeth up day and night forever and ever and ever. That is a sobering and a serious thought. The enemy offers you freedom, but delivers you bondage. Christ offers captivity, but provides you freedom. Now, close with this thought, John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Listen, sin is something that will, it provides, it offers you pleasure, and it will provide pleasure. But when it's all said and done, the end of it is death. It will leave you empty. It will never deliver the promises that It uh, it will never keep those promises. You may love what the world has to offer, but you will eventually find that the world doesn't love you back. Enjoying sin is like being addicted to strychnine. You may take small little doses, but eventually it's going to kill you in one form or another. Jesus said in John 8:36, "If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Who are you a captive of, of today? Who are you a prisoner of? You can be a prisoner of Jesus Christ and you can be made free from the bondage of sin. Or you can be stubborn, stiff-necked, like the children of Israel and say, no, I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to surrender. And the end result will be a lifetime of bondage. I thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ has set me free from the bondage that I put myself in as a sinner. And I thank God. I've been a prisoner of Jesus Christ for over 30 years now. And I want to say that it is a good place to be. I have no regrets. My Savior has been far better than to me than my old master, ever on the best day that he ever was to me, my master tells me the truth. My master does what is best for me. The old master, he just served himself and deceived me and used me for his good. But God, he doesn't use me. He gave himself for me so that I might be made free. the bondage of my sin. He'll do the same thing for you today if you'll let him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free from the power of sin and the bondage of Satan. I pray, Father, that each and every one that's been listening here today realizes that being a prisoner of Jesus Christ is not bondage but rather, it is true freedom, freedom that the world can't even understand. I pray, Father, that we would recognize the different thought processes and deception that Satan has filled our hearts and minds with. Lord, he's winning this warfare, Lord, at a, at a, um, at the mind, at the, the, the way people think. And I pray, Father, that you would open up eyes, that every thought and every imagination would be Captive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to submit and surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remain seated with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If God spoke to your heart, you'd like to come forward here. Maybe you'd like to just pray right there where you're at. Listen, if you have any questions about your salvation, you don't fully understand how to be saved, we've got men and ladies here that would love to take you aside into one of these rooms and just open up the Word of God and teach you how you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you've been saved. Maybe you're a Christian here today, you've been saved, but you recognize that you've got some stubbornness, some self-will, and an unwillingness to surrender to God in your heart. Listen. The Lord wants to deliver you from the captivity of Satan. He wants to deliver your mind from those deceiving lies. And He wants to give you liberty. Liberty to serve Him. Liberty to love Him. If you want to break free from those chains of bondage, you can do so today if you'll just turn your heart to the Lord. God will not force His will on any of us, but He gently... And lovingly pleads. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You won't find a, a believer who has surrendered to the Lord. Ever say he regretted it. The only regret that I have is that I didn't do it sooner. Don't have that same regret. Surrender today. Surrender today. And yield your will to Him and follow Him and trust Him. You'll be set free from the bondage of Satan. Let's stand, and take a hymnal, number two hundred seventy-seven. Only trust Him as we sing. The altar still open. You do what God has told you to do here this morning. As we sing, you come.